topic I thought of was well, um, share prizes. Sure. Hmm. Good money to go on the air and be defrocked. Alright. Okay. I don't want to go first, so. Alright, sounds good. Neither do I, but I have to. Unless somebody else wants to introduce the podcast today. Ferris? Okay. I, I don't like introducing. Alright, I'll do it. <laughs> it. It's just feels tough. Like I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Nervous hand. Just do it. Okay, I'll do it. Nervous hand. Okay, let's have five seconds of silence. Then I'll start, okay? Okay. So, wait, is it, is it, is it Nervous Ham, a post-mortem pig, who still has anxiety? Nervous Ham. Ham is somebody who really tried. I, okay, this is going to offend you. Ham is somebody who really tries to be funny, but, you know. And why would that be offensive to me first? I don't know. I don't know what to do. Boy. Boy. Not to a good start. Yeah. All right, ready? <coughs> Welcome to the Practically Theologians podcast, where we attempt to make Reformed theology practical. <coughs> Today... We are recording in the classroom at Sangre de Cristo Seminary, where you might hear in the background the joyful sounds of children and mothers uh, participating in a craft day. And so some of us guys figured it might be fun to get together and talk about something we are learning this fall, which is homiletics, or how to preach, is maybe one way to sum up what that means. Um, During this course, we're supposed to come up with some lessons learned for the class, and so we thought we might discuss those today. Might also get into a discussion on hermeneutics at the end, but we'll see if we do that. Today we're joined by... My name is Ferris. I'm a second-year student here. I'm Josh. I'm also a second-year student. I'm Tom. I'll be graduating in about five more days. Woo! And... And I'm Benjamin. I'm a first-year student and a rookie preacher. <laughs> I think I'm a rookie preacher, too. <laughs> but you're more rookie. I'm so. a rookie rookie. <laughs> All right, so who wants to go first on the questions, by the way? Just raise your hand. And before we go to the questions, though, anybody want to go first on that? On the lessons learned, sorry. Well, first time the lessons learned. Well, we um, can start from left to right. Maybe we should put our fingers on our nose and whoever's the last to do it. Ha- oh, all right, I'll no, go first. It's like you going first. Uh, before, before we get into that, I thought it might be interesting or fun or just um, insightful for, helpful for us all to go to a favorite text related to preaching. So if we want to start from right to left, Ferris. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you for that privilege. You're welcome. So one of the one of the texts that I like to think about related to preaching is Jesus with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. That is in Luke chapter 24. And I'll just give the background, but these two disciples are very disheartened that uh, the the one whom they thought was the Christ has died. They're not aware that he rose from the dead. And so Jesus appears incognito to ask them what they're talking about, what's going on. It's, it's somewhat comical. But um, this is what he says to them in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And 
beginning with Moses. So that would be the very beginning of the Bible, starting with Genesis. And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And say, this is really what we're after in preaching, is preaching Christ from the whole of scripture to the hearers. And after he departed from them, this is what they said of his preaching in verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? We are to, we are after an effect in the people. Um, hearing Jesus Christ preached from the scriptures, I would say. Thank you. All right, my text is Romans chapter 10, and I'll just read verses 14 through 17, but if you go ahead and read that yourself at home, it's really just read the whole book of Romans, but you might want to pick up a broader context. But Paul's kind of going into both Jews and Greeks will be saved, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Um, So he says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek in verse 12. Then in verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I know that word of Christ is not translated differently in some translations. I like this translation. Anyway. Tom? Well, obviously those are fantastic passages. One another one that comes to mind for me is... But a better one is. (laughs) (laughs) But truly the superior passage is... uh, No, just kidding. Another great one is is, uh, from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And in here, Paul is talking about... Uh, essentially, he's giving a very brief summation of his ministry, uh, what he's what he's setting out to do. And he says these words, Him we proclaim, and that him there is Christ. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I guess one of the things I, a couple of things I like about this passage is it's right out of the gate. It's so Christocentric and that it is absolutely focused on proclaiming Christ. And then he does not shy away from talking about the fact that truly to proclaim Christ includes both warning concerning sin and what every sin deserves. Um, and also then teaching everyone the way of salvation that God has provided in Christ. I also like that he uh, uses the word everyone repeatedly. And the idea is is that we know that God's salvation is for the elect. And yet the call of the church is to extend this offer of the gospel to all people, to call on all people in all places to respond in faith to Christ. 
And we see that emphasis from Paul. They warn everyone, they teach everyone, and he present that he, his desire is to present everyone mature in Christ. And then lastly, the emphasis on the toil and struggle that he go that he gives. Um, I appreciate that because it makes clear that ministry is not easy. Um, but he also talks about the supply that enables him to continue on uh, being faithful in this ministry. He does so with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so God is sustaining the minister and causing the effectiveness of the ministry. It's uh, it's just a very beautiful, beautiful text. All right. Uh, the passage I thought of is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll start at verse 17. And then I'll read verse 21, but you could uh, just read the whole chapter there to get context. So, 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then verse 21. For since... In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So when I read that, um, it's amazing to me that in the wisdom of God, he uses the silly words of men to preach his gospel. And uh, I I guess maybe they're not silly words, but... God uses the words of men to preach his truth. Yeah. <clears throat> I, that's, I, that's uh, yeah. I don't know, is that paradoxical? Is that sort of a... I would say Paul is saying, in the eyes of the world, these things are completely foolish. Yeah. So, the Jews seek signs, the Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and yeah. folly to Gentiles. But yeah. to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Yeah. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So to men who are foolish, it's paradoxical. Okay. Well, they, <laughs> okay. So the Greeks seek wisdom, right? So the Greeks, the, the Greeks can't reconcile a glorious weakness <clears throat> that we see in Christ. And the Jews seek miracles. They can't understand a suffering Savior no. who bleeds and dies. Yeah. And Christ addresses both of them with the far greater wisdom of God because both of those seemingly paradoxical things are the means through which the greatest accomplishment in all history came to pass. The salvation the of sinners. way it could have happened. And so it's just this beautiful confrontation of what man thinks is wise, what man thinks is, is chief. And God turns it on its head and shows that his wisdom surpasses anything man has ever thought of for himself. It's just really beautiful. It is. <laughs> All right. Thank you, gents. Um, very good passages, and there are many more that are very good that we had to leave out for the sake of time, but um, just read the Bible. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, good advice. Yeah. All right. So I'll go first on lessons learned. And uh, so I'll just lay out there what I learned while preaching. And then uh, Tom can go next, and Ben can go next, and Ferris can go last. Thank you. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, so I'll just lay out there what I learned. And then if you guys want to pipe in on what you think about that in general, you could talk. I don't mind if you guys criticize me. 
I mean, not in mean, you know. Constructively. If you guys agree, oh yeah, Josh, you're not very good at that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> For the sake of this, I, I think it's a good discussion. I, I enjoy that. So go ahead, pipe in. Using me as an example if you want. But uh, clear transitions between points. Don't muddle subpoints was something I've learned not only here, but also I was preaching at Cotopaxi for four weeks on the Book of Ruth. And so just helping people track as a speaker um, is very important. So a couple of the sermons I did here early in the year, I didn't really give points necessarily. They were more building up to a point. Um, uh, but my last sermon on Haggai 2, I did develop points. It was a deductive style, which basically you start with your statement of truth and you prove it. That's deductive. Inductive is more you start with your proving and you build to a climax and you introduce the main truth. So I was doing a deductive arrangement. And <clears throat> so I was trying to remember to restate my main points, which I had three, of which I had three. And... Uh, and I, under those main points, on a couple of them, I did have subpoints. And so one of my main points had three subpoints, and that was probably my longest section. Um, and as a listener, if somebody has three points and they state up front I have three points, and then they say this is point number one, it really helps you track with where you're at in the sermon. So I did that for point number one. I did that for point number two, but then I got into the subpoints, and it got a little tricky. Because with subpoints, if you say first, second, and third, people start to get mixed up. Okay, now are we on the second point, the third point, or this third subpoint? Uh, so I think in the future, I probably won't say first, second, third. I might just not tell people that they are subpoints necessarily. Um, so I won't list firstly, secondly, thirdly during the subpoints. And then when I move on to my third point, people won't be confused as to where they're at in the sermon, which I think happened with the Haggai sermon. Uh, so that was one. It's it's I think it really helps the listeners if I, as a listener, it really helps to have the preacher state where he's at, then restate where he's been and state where he's going every time he's going to a new point. It's very helpful for a listener who's trying to track just with his ears and with his brain um, where the preacher has notes <laughs> so it's yeah I, I think <clears throat> it, it might be helpful especially for the beginning preacher and I, I have the same problem that you said you had getting people lost in the sub points but I think we're often worried about sounding plastic in our delivery but I think it would be better to be clear than to be quote unquote genuine in our, our delivery I mean um, it might even be worth saying my first sub-point or my second sub-point you know, in order to distinguish between main points um, to be able to label it that way uh, yeah. what do you think? yeah, that would be a valid way to do it too yeah, yeah. my main concern with that would be sounding plastic yes. but, but it is very helpful to be clear yeah yeah, I was just going to say uh, the repetition of the pastor to keep the audience on task, Repetition, on point, yeah. uh, giving them the roadmap that's clear to follow, that's straight and narrow, and they're not lost in the weeds. So repetition, even in sort of giving them an outline as you go, 
um, repeating your main points through the sermon is very helpful for me. But I thought your sermon on Haggai was great. So there you go. It was good. It was really I enjoyed good. preaching it, but yeah. yeah. I think along with that is is having um, clear and logical points um, that make sense to the listener. Uh, sometimes we have exegetical points that are very valid and directly derived from the text, but are not quickly transferable to someone who hasn't been studying it for 20 hours like we have. Um, and so that, that step between exegesis and putting together a homiletical presentation of the exegesis, I think you can do a lot of help there if, you're, if your points make sense to the listener. When they hear them, if they can understand their progression or their relationship or their development, um, it automatically creates uh, a better foundation for understanding. Yeah, I agree. The hardest part to do is to restate points as a preacher. It just feels redundant, kind of boring, but as a listener, it's very, very helpful. So, yeah. Um, Okay, second thing I learned, or that I thought about is, including enough historical background, just enough to place people at the right stage in redemptive history. So, uh, using Haggai as an example, or Ruth, which I've also preached on recently, um, just kind of giving people a brief hint of where is this taking place in redemptive history. So Haggai, taking place during the exile, after the temple uh, has been destroyed, but and Israel's been taken away to Babylon, and, and now they're returning to rebuild the temple. And this is about 500-ish B.C. And so it's going to be 500 years until the true temple comes. And it's been 500 years since that first temple was built by Solomon. So just kind of briefly stating where you're at in redemptive history. And then if you're preaching something that relies on uh, a redemptive historical um, kind of, I don't want to say hermeneutic, but I'll say hermeneutic. In order to place, so you're you're trying to show what problems the people at that time were having. So what? why were these people despondent looking down at the ruins of the old temple? Well, if somebody understands that they had had a glorious temple, this was Solomon's, and that some of the people there had seen that temple, um, and then, and then if you kind of say, okay, and then it's going to be five hundred years until Christ comes, you kind of have a placement in redemptive history. So then you can help people see what they were struggling with at that time, and then you kind of make a connection to what people struggle with in general, and then you kind of connect what was all this? Why is this in the Bible? What is it pointing to ultimately? So that was another lesson I learned. I'm still learning. That's a tough one. It's connected to hermeneutics, and I'm still trying to develop a rigorous and solid and biblical hermeneutic. So, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think I think the the, the casual audience listener in the congregation is familiar with Moses, David, Solomon, maybe Elijah. And to be able to zoom out and give them the, okay, David was at 1000 BC, the exile was at 500 BC, Christ came at zero, giving them something to grab hold of. That intertestamental period 
has been such a fog in my mind as a listener in a congregation when a pastor has given me just those points that I know and helps place that story of Haggai at 450 or whatever it was. That's very helpful. I, I think that historical background is especially important in our day when people want to jump immediately from any text to their own life without really understanding the text itself. Yeah. And it's like they read the those Goliaths. Right. You read the story of David and Goliath and immediately you're saying, I'm David and this problem in my life is Goliath. Instead of giving them the background of the Philistines, God's covenant with his people, their disobedience, their fear, and David's faith in a God who can save them. Um, being able to, to lay down the historical background so that people aren't immediately jumping to an uninformed application to themselves that is all about them and their own existence. They, they need to be able to see a God who has worked in history and made promises to people and has been faithful to those promises. So giving the historical background is very important. And that one in particular, people always forget about Saul. Yeah. In a way, David conquered Goliath on behalf of Saul. It's kind of crazy to think about. Anyway, well, another, that's a great example. Another tidbit there is interesting is the first the principle of the first and the second, um, which you see the first man, the second man, Christ. The second is the greater first king, second king. Uh, you have the same thing with Jacob and Esau. Uh, there's, there's, there's just all these patterns uh, throughout Scripture of the first and the second, and God doing a greater thing in the second, uh, which picks up there. But I also think that, and this will overlap, I'll probably not mention this one as much on when it's my turn, but I think that one of the things that in seminary we... Um, unintentionally end up doing is we end up thinking about preaching in terms of like a single event um, because that's the type of preaching most seminary students get to do is they preach one time a standalone message and then they probably don't preach again maybe for a few weeks or <coughs> or a month there are rare occasions where we get to do maybe a series on Ruth like you just got to do or during our projects but in general we preach one time I think one of the things that we then can forget is the idea of shepherding people over a period of time through preaching. And what I think you're pointing out is a really, really important aspect of shepherding a church is teaching them how to view the unity and continuity of God's work throughout redemptive history and to see that the Bible is not as disjointed as our uneducated minds tend to think. Um, but the more the, the pastor can help shepherd the church in their view of Scripture and in their understanding of its flow and the relationship between all of its parts, I think that's going to help people not just in the sermon, listening to the sermon, but even in their own quiet time, uh, even in their own conversations with other people about their faith. They're going to be able to tell the whole story instead of saying, look at this one verse. Um, I think that's just a really valuable thing that gives doesn't give validity to our faith, but it shows forth the validity of our faith. Yeah. Uh, the, the last thing, and then I'll let Tom go, finally, is uh, working on illustration and application. I think in hearing sermons and in thinking through how to preach my own, I struggle most with how much illustration 
I should put in there and then how to do application. That's very, because I want to be faithful to the text in bringing the application that's there in the text forward in history to the people that I'm preaching to. And um, for me, that's something very tricky to do. But I think one thing that I found helpful in listening to sermons is when the when the preacher brings an el- illustration forward and uses that to actually, so they, they basically lean on that to help make their point. It helps me have something that I can grab onto as something I've experienced or I can imagine experiencing. I can use that to kind of hang the truths of what's being preached onto that and kind of see, oh, wow, so this is how it applies directly to me instead of just being kind of an abstract idea out there floating in space that I know is true, but I just can't quite, I can't quite see how it's true for me in a particular situation I might face. So illustration connects to application in that way, and I think it's just something I'd like to get better at. I've tried, I've been trying to kind of pull my illustrations back at the end or use touch on them in the middle or have a new illustration somewhere in the middle just to help people come back into, oh yeah, this is talking about me, like the God is speaking to me through this text. It's not just kind of some truth floating out there in abstract land. So, all right, Tom. All right. Well, those are all really good things. Well, uh, I've I've been happy to learn them. <laughs> uh, so, I obviously, I already covered the the one I had here first was just taking a long term view of shepherding through preaching and teaching, yeah. which I already commented on. Um, I just think that's something that I'm hoping to learn and to develop. Uh, in the coming years is to be able to think in a little bit of a more big picture not forsaking the individual sermon but connecting and thinking about how how to shepherd over a period of a year or two years or three years um, uh, piggybacking off of Josh's last one um, application is something else that's been on my mind um, and particularly <clears throat> I want, I've, I've been trying to get good at this and I want to get even better at showing the congregation why the application of a certain passage matters to them. Um, I think that our lives and our culture, uh, in some respects, are so far toward secularism that there are times in which the point of a passage can, can feel, if we're honest, and we don't give reflection, our first, our first thought can be, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, that, who, who cares? Why does that matter? What's the big deal? And I think that we need to be, um, as pastors, we need to be really intentional about helping others, uh, especially the listener, and you know, when we're preaching or teaching, understand that the wisdom God has given us in His Word is applicable and is precious to our well-being uh, and that if we have, if we find ourselves wondering, you know, what's the point of that? How, why does that matter? I think pastors need to realize that that question is going to be on the minds of people, more so in certain passages than others. And they need to have good answers for people, not just answers that make you sound smart, but answers that actually hit people where they are and help them realize, oh, wow, 
I thought that was obscure and unimportant. Mm-hmm. And now I realize that if I were to forsake obedience to this passage of Scripture, that it would have a very significant influence and in, impact in my life, uh, that it would be me turning away from the Lord in some way. And uh, obviously that's not something that any you know faithful Christian is wanting to do. So any, any thoughts on, on that before I go to the next one? <clears throat> well, one thing I also, yeah, that's good. There's a third question that I personally have often is how. You've told me two, but you also need to tell me how, and it's something I've been thinking about as I preach too. Is mm-hmm. I want to tell people um, what to do or how to behave, but also where's the hope for someone who knows as hard as they try, they're going to end up failing. That's connecting all that together. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, it it is. I mean, you're essentially asking for like you you need to explain why this matters. You know, you need to persuade uh, the person sitting in the pew that this message is worth listening to. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting at the edge of my seat and making sure I don't miss any of God's word here. And this is very important for my life. Yeah. Um, that is a tall order and you feel the burden when you're in the study mm-hmm. uh, for those people sitting out there and sometimes you have maybe a face of a, a teenager you know who who just doesn't really seem to care they just they roll their eyes um, <clears throat> I don't know why I said teenager I mean it's just any particular person that you think doesn't really care about what's being said yeah um there's a lot that I think we could do to to try to be more helpful toward that end. And then there's also a lot that we realize that we are men being asked by God, can these bones live? And then we got to say in the end of the day, Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. And keeping that, that prayer towards God working, trying to do everything we can to, to make this clearly something that you need to listen to and then at the end of it realizing this these are dead bones that I'm talking to God has to do the work mm-hmm. so, yeah. and it, this uh, so that one kind of leads into my second one as well um, which is something else I'm learning is is trying to find the balance between meeting people where they are and yet at the same time calling people to spiritual growth and maturity um, and so the overlap between what I just said and this this point is most most people who are asking the question I raised in my first point here was they're they're thinking how do I bring the text down to the people and I I might be wrong uh, I very well could be I know that I'm standing against the majority of preaching books that are out there. Well, if you agree with me, you're not wrong. (laughs) But I think that the better question is how do we bring people up to where the Scripture is? Because it's not that the Scripture needs to be conformed to our current worldview. It's that our current worldview needs to be conformed to Scripture. And so it's not then that you don't meet people where they are by doing that. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. You still meet them where they are, but you don't leave them there. Now, they may still choose to stay there, but our job is to do everything within our ability 
by faith, completely independence upon God, to help them come to realize more and more that God's ways are better than man's ways and God's wisdom is better than man's wisdom. And so that they will more and more so adapt their lives to what Scripture sets forth and be conformed according to the word of the Holy Spirit in their lives to those things, and gladly so. That they would actually be, be their hands would be quickly letting go of the things of life that were from formerly keeping their attention and interest, and then thrusting themselves more uh, more fully on Christ um, and all that he has for us. So, so the, to, to summarize before you guys put in some comments, the second one I'm pointing out here is the tension between or the balance between meeting people where they are while calling them to spiritual growth and maturity, um, calling them to more, and yet not not neglecting to meet them where they really, really are. Um, and there's this tension there. So what, what do you guys <coughs> think about that? What have been your experiences or thoughts? God gave us the Bible in lisping, right? Lisping, in a lisping manner that we could understand it. Yeah, so it's a good pattern to follow. But also, he lifts us up too. He's not like leaving us down as infants. Clearly, it's repeated by Paul. Don't stay stuck on milk. Yeah. yeah. I agree, though. Teaching down is not my style. Yeah. I don't know that that's, I don't think that's right. You should, you should teach. <coughs> When you say teaching down or preaching down, can you explain that just a little bit? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of thinking of it in, in terms of um, maybe public schooling or something where in a classroom setting, someone might teach to the lowest okay. student as far as understanding goes. And then as a whole, the class doesn't get lifted up in right. in, that, in that context knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think in, it, that is a tricky balance to strike in the congregation, especially but in a classroom, I would advocate more teaching up more, bringing the bottom students up sure. rather than bringing the rest of the class down. Yeah. And so in terms of preaching, using that as an analogy might not be an exact analogy, but it's kind of how I'm thinking about it is kind of what Tom was saying exactly. I agree with Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we should keep this, keep preaching like people are so, dumb. Maybe an example. Yeah, that, that's one example is teaching too simplistically. Um, now, I think our, our preaching and teaching ought to be simple in terms of clarity, understandability. It, it, it shouldn't be this esoteric well, the presentation. Well, it's perspicuity of the incommunicable attributes in the, what's the superlapsarianism? <coughs> Uh, eschatology. Yeah. So, so if you talk that way, you're talking to yourself. Speaking of tongues, I, <laughs> yeah. we have a gift. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't think that, that we should yeah. be. So, one error is to be too simplistic and to talk to people as if they're unintelligent. I think another one, though, is. Or even as if they couldn't learn. Yeah. Maybe. Another error is to affirm the felt needs of people and not show them their real needs. Um, and so essentially they come to church thinking, you know, I'm just grumpy. My job's no good. I'm unhappy in my marriage. Those are real problems. And we as Christian shepherds need to be concerned for the sheep in those things. I'm not in any way suggesting a cold heartedness, but their real problem is that they're obsessed with themselves. 
And the reason they are so depressed and discouraged is because all they're thinking about is what they want and how they can get what they want for themselves. And ultimately, that they is, stink. <laughs> and that is not how God designed us to live. So if you're living that way, you won't make progress. I can give you every principle in the Bible that will help your marriage and your job and all these things. But if you don't turn your eyes to Christ and realize that you were created, your highest purpose in life is to glorify God, you're not going to really change. You might feel better for a little while, but it's a Band-Aid on a, you know, on a gaping wound. You, you need, need more to, than that. Address the desires, <clears throat> their, their heart. Right. And they need new desires. Um, they need their, we, not they, we, all of us, including the preachers, <laughs> need yeah. new desires. We need God to teach us to think his thoughts after him and to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And as long as I'm not doing that, of course I'm going to be dissatisfied and find myself struggling and, you know, falling over all these worldly uh, concerns and circumstances and so forth. And it's, there's just a difference in philosophy of how to accomplish the end in mind. And the end in mind for me is to bring people up into the goodness of God revealed in his word, not dumb down the goodness of God and his word to meet people in their, in the mud puddle. Um, they, get, get out of the mud puddle. I want to help you <laughs> come over somewhere else. That's better. Absolutely. So <laughs> um, the way I, the way a former pastor of mine stated, what you were just saying is to point out that, that Jesus preached against the sins of his hearers, whoever his hearers were. Um, that, that might be why Jesus does not speak really of, of, some of the things that might have been out of the scope of the typical sins of a, a first century Jew. Like, he doesn't rail upon homosexuality. Um, and I guess the only point I'm, I'm really making there is, is what he thought was relevant preaching was exposing the heart of his hearers and showing them how they needed him. Um, our, our preaching can often be basically rallying the troops. And, and there is a time to do that when you are rallying the mature around carrying out what they know is, is the right thing to do, focused upon, you know, sharing the gospel and things of the like. Uh, but we need to be in tune to what the sins of our hearers are. Is it an obsession with their own, everything that's going on in their life? I mean, yes, Christ can help us through those things. But perhaps we are just padding their idolatry when we say we are meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And we need to actually point out that their obsession with how their work is going, maybe even their obsession with how their marriage is going, isn't their problem. I mean, the, the obsession is the problem, but the marriage and their workplace isn't really the problem. It points to a deeper problem within themselves. Um, I wonder if I should make a bold statement. Maybe I could just ask a timid question. Do you suppose that a preacher who doesn't address the heart problem is himself ignoring his own heart problem? At times, I mean, it seems um, I, it seems as though I find myself agreeing with what we've read and had in Robinson's book. That first of all, the preacher, the the message of of the preacher is applied to the preacher. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that message is applied to the congregation. Absolutely. I find myself agreeing with that. Yeah. We, we ought to be exposed. We ought to understand our own sins and preach that message to ourselves and then preach it to the sins 
of the people. So we started by reading passages on scripture. I'm just going to read one more real quick. I won't make much comment. It speaks for itself. But here's just another one that we could have put out there from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The progression is that he set his heart on God. He pursued God through his word. He pursued personal conformity and obedience to what God's word teaches. And then he sought to teach those things to others. He got the log out of his own eye and then he helped his brother with yeah, respect. In exactly. His and I just think that as preachers, we ought to remember that sequence and that pattern. And yeah. none of us are going to always get it right. There's going to be a lot of times where this verse will, will correct us. We'll go, uh-oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not very much like the Bible teaches I ought to be right now. But this is what we should strive for. Yeah. We should strive to be uh, impacted and transformed by God's word before we're then seeking to be a vessel through which God might impact and transform the lives of others. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> last thing that I'm on my list, and then we'll, we'll move on uh, to hear what Ben's got, is, uh, and, and these are somewhat all connected, but scriptural focus um, and, and exegetical in our preaching. Um, and that's not something that's new to me. It's just something that, I am, I'm, I'm fired up about, um, I, uh, maybe there's a better way to put this, but I am, I am weary of hearing sermons filled with just human focused banter, um, and enter- entertaining speech that are not actually getting my eyes and my heart and my mind focused on the words of scripture to understand the words of scripture so that I might better know the God of scripture. Uh, there's a lot of sermons that I think talk about things that are Christianly true and that put forth things that are probably encouraging and would even be helpful for me to adopt in my own life as termed in terms of practices and you know practical application. But show it to me from the Bible. Yeah. Don't read a passage and then just talk. Teach the passage. Teach the word. Uh, we believe in 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 uh, plenary verbal inspiration, meaning it's not just the ideas in God's word that are inspired. It is the very words themselves and every one of them uh, and in their form, the form that they came in. And if we believe that and then we go and we preach and we essentially don't teach people the words of Scripture, we don't teach them from the words of Scripture. What are we really saying practically that we believe has the transformative power to yield the spiritual transformation we're after? Our words. And that is not true. Uh, In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. You can't do that. (laughs) I can't do that. And that's what the gospel message is. It is let there be light to dead and darkened hearts of sinners. And the only one whose words carries the power to yield the actual fulfillment of the command is God's. And that's what he has called us to proclaim unapologetically and, in my opinion, as clearly as we possibly can. So... Last, last thought is from, from Luke 24, which Ferris read <coughs> just a few minutes ago. I just want to draw attention back to one phrase at the, at the uh, Luke 24, verse 32, the last part of it. Uh, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Open the scriptures. Yeah. And teach the scriptures. They are the power of God for the transformation of the hearts of sinners. 
if we forsake that, if we veer too far to our own words in preaching, if we veer away from teaching the, the text, the specific text in front of us, I think we are we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It doesn't mean we're not going to. God won't still use that in some positive way to encourage, in some sense. I think the most effective sense that we have, the most effective ministry that we have as preachers, is to preach the word and to teach that word. So, yeah, I'll get off my soapbox now. I think it's go ahead. wonderful soapbox. <laughs> go ahead. Maybe I'll. I've been talking. Maybe I'll be able to critique you. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't want people to leave my sermon able to say, I wonder how he got there from here. You know, I want them to see how when I was preaching on Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, they understood how verses 12, verse 12 or verse 13 made the point that I was making from it. And, and I think a lot of preaching today, you read the passage as an introduction. It kind of gives you a certain feeling, makes you think about certain things. And then we just kind of talk around those ideas mm-hmm. instead of opening the text to people and instead of explaining the text yeah. to people. What do these specific words in this sequence communicate? Yeah. If we don't answer that question, I don't know that we have explicitly proclaimed what this text is saying. Right. And there's probably better ways to describe it. I'm not saying that our, our sermons should in any way be academic or just so boring and meticulous over the forms of Greek verbs or what have you. That's not what I'm saying. It's our job to know that stuff yeah. so that we can then teach it in a way that is meaningful and clear, but scripture-centered for the listener. Go ahead, Josh. Go ahead, Ferris. Ah, we both raised our hands at the same time. Yeah, maybe I raised mine first. But well, remember, I did have a comment. You, you did have a comment. I just like to talk. Um, Be slow to speak. I, I heard a preacher say, one of the things that we do when we preach, we, we should view preaching as a lab for teaching the people in the congregation how to read their own Bibles. And, and if our preaching isn't that, then we are not opening the text. We we might understand how we got there from there, but we need to show the congregation how we got to where we're at from reading the text. Uh, uh, bring it, Josh. Finally, <laughs> Josh. Wait a second. Bring your critique. What are you saying? <clears throat> we should only open the Bible up and read? All right. So here's, what, here's, the, here's the thing. Okay. Let's use... Haggai is an example. What I went through preaching Haggai and kind of looking at the text and looking at how they... Chapter 2, the one you just did. Yeah. Haggai chapter 2, yeah, uh, verses 1 through 9, kind of looking at how it was arranged by the author and what that points out to me as far as getting the main point of the text. So let's say there's... It's, it wasn't a chiastic structure at the beginning, but there's, there's three sets of three, and in the middle of each of those three sets is kind of a kind of a main point. So Joshua the high priest is in the middle of two of those sets. Um, and you can see that uh, in the last set of three, it's, it's uh, two Zerubbabel and it ends with declares the Lord. And then to Joshua, but it doesn't have a declares the Lord. And then at the last one, it says to the people, declares the Lord, for example. So Joshua is, is highlighted. And the idea of the temple there in the text is the major, major underlying thing that's being talked about. So I did not say, I did not comment on uh, declaration of Yahweh that's there in the text 
but I did bring out the main point of the text. And um, it's kind of a struggle to decide how much do you need to, to give an apologetic? I think at times you do need to, but the struggle is how much of that you need to give versus just proclaiming what you know is the truth of the text. It, the balance is between getting people lost in the weeds and maybe confusing them and, um, and, and making sure people are confident in your proclamation because they can see, okay, this is what the text says. So there's a tricky balance there. I've thought about a bit in terms of how much do we peel back the curtain of all the work we put into determining the main point of this text versus how much do we want to clearly proclaim the message, the truth of the text that's there in a clear way. It's For me, it's a struggle between how much technical versus just just bringing the truth to the people in a way they can understand. So I would say there's not a general answer because different passages... Of course there's no general answer. Have Go different dynamics. Bill Mounts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we just got through Greek and Mounts is a fan of footnotes. <laughs> and the um, word probably. And blissfully regular. Anyway. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to use myself as an example here, not because I think I'm nailing it, but just to give us something to work with. So feel free to critique this. Uh, three weeks ago, I preached on First Timothy chapter one, verses twelve through uh, seventeen, and verse thirteen of that text is a very difficult verse to understand theologically and grammatically in terms of its syntactical relationships between the words. So when I preached. Um, most of the other pa- rest of the passage is rather, rather clear, so it wasn't much technical. It was more explaining and applying. But this particular portion required me to bring out the fact that in order to rightly understand this, you need to understand the technical. Now, did I muddy the waters for the people by doing that? No. I didn't explain to them every technical detail. What I said to them was, I have spent a very, very large amount of hours studying this particular phrase of this verse because of how significant it is. What I need you to understand is that the verbal structure here and the relationship between the words is not super super clear. There's a lot of different opinions on this. But here's where I've landed and here's why I've landed there. And then, then I explained my thought progression and I showed it to them from the text so that they would understand that they could take what I was saying and, and actually stand on it. That it was solid. It wasn't speculation. It wasn't out of left field. If I hadn't done that, and instead I just told them what I think that verse really means, there would have been, in the minds of many, a logical leap. And they would have said, oh, how'd you get there? Like, I heard you tell me that this is what I should think about this, but I don't know that I can personally get to that conclusion. It seems like you've stretched something. It seems like you've missed a step. Fill me in. And so where it's required, I think we, we have to do the due diligence. And the other thing I would add to that is, when we're preaching God's Word, we are not merely teaching by the words we say. We're also teaching by the approach to Scripture we take. And I think we're teaching people, even if, even if they get, quote-unquote, lost in the weeds, which I would hope wouldn't happen. I hope we would do a good enough job not to lose people in the weeds, but that would mean we it, it could happen. Um, but even if they get lost in the weeds, they'll get lost in the weeds seeing their pastor carefully, reverently, 
attempt to handle the precious word of God because its implications for the soul are significant. Now, if they see him being a dusty old person who's just trying to show off how intelligent he is, that's not preaching. No offense to dusty old persons listening to this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go to Ben because I know he has to leave pretty soon. Uh, you have one last th- thought to share it, but I'll come back to that and it kind of relates to that topic. So, Ben... What have you learned this year in homiletics? All right. Well, I'm the rookie. I'm the rookie student here, the rookie preacher teacher. I've only taught once, maybe twice, twice. and um, preached, preached once. Preached once, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, two things that are similar to you, Josh, is illustrations and applications. Uh, in my uh, teaching and preaching, I've been a little weak on. Um, uh, coming up with good illustrations to drive home the main point, and then um, coming back to those in the conclusion to uh, to bring people's mind to the main point, and then uh, ap- making an application uh, to the people so that they can uh, grab hold of it and apply it to their lives. I've been a little weak on that, um, and so if I'm critiquing myself, it seems to me like it's easy for me to teach and preach something to know directly from the passage or the verses. And that's not a whole lot different than if the person were just to read it. So here's what verse 1 says. Here's what verse 2 says. Well, the people can do that. They can read that and see what it says and know what it says. That's, so, so that's what related I, to my thing. Right. So I'm getting at is preaching what the people need to know from that passage. And I think that's the challenge uh, that I'm experiencing at my early stages here is um, developing a message that, as you all have said, elevates the listener, bringing them to something that they really need to know from this passage that they really need to apply to their lives rather than just giving them point by point by point by point of something to know. So, does that make sense? Um, Certainly we know things and certainly we need to know things and certainly we need to tell the people what it is the passage is saying, but I think as I've listened to y'all's sermons and teachings, and uh, Dr. Zeller, as he teaches, there's something bigger that we need to know, and that is the challenge of, of preaching to me. Um, um, so we talk a lot about here in class indicatives and imperatives, uh, what we need to know and what we need to do. And um, certainly preaching involves those. But there's, it seems to me as I've been uh, watching, listening, and trying to learn, that there's a, um, that's there's sort of a next step in, uh, in bringing a passage alive to the listener and then driving home that principle so that they can apply it to their life. So, yeah, I'm the rookie, I'm the rookie preacher and I'm starting to get my mind uh, focused in that direction. Um, so, yeah, do you guys have any thoughts? Comments, yes, constructive, we have thoughts. constructive mm-hmm. criticisms. 
well, I have to say my uh, spring teaching, I've said this many times, was very beneficial. I learned a lot. My pastor was very helpful. And I think part of part of the reason it was helpful is, is the seminary here teaches a certain method of preaching that is similar to how my pastor believes preaching should be done. So it was it was reinforcing things that I've been learning, which is really helpful. But but the one big thing is that the idea that um, people generally are not going to take away. Okay, this was his main point. These were his supporting proofs, and then these were the subpoints under those points. Right? Yeah. They're not going to take away the structure of your sermon. It, it seems as though people will take away something that either they won't take away much and it won't affect them or if they do take something away it'll be something that has affected them and that they will change they're they're going to be changed by God somehow but they're not going to remember the particulars of your sermon all that work you put into explaining this and explaining that of all that people are going to take away just one, two, maybe three three things that struck them but God is going to change them, and that's that change. They know the sermon changed them, but they're not going to be able to recall how it changed them. So I think yeah. I think the idea of purpose and having one main um, idea you're presenting that is connected to the purpose for your sermon, because through preaching, God changes people. That might be some like, kind of what you're talking about. That was my my last thing I wanted to bring up was just that idea. It's it's interesting. You listen to a sermon, you come away from the sermon, you might remember some interesting things the preacher said, but really the change that you've experienced because of the preaching is really the main thing you're taking away. And that change is probably not anything you will... You're not going to recall the words necessarily that changed you, but you're going to experience a change. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't what, yeah basically what you're saying is you're, you're, you're preaching what the listener needs to know and what they need to walk out the door with. And that's the impact. That's the application. That's Christ and what he's done uh, in the particular passage that we've been studying. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a higher need to teach more than just the informational facts of the passage. Those are certainly very important um, because we derive from those the main message that they need to know. They don't come in the church saying, oh man, I really need to hear this today. No, you need to tell them what they need to know and walk out the door with. It's practical and applicable. uh, It penetrates their hearts and their minds. Getting to that, uh, for me at this stage, is hard. It's easy for me just to say, this is what verse 1 says. I want this spring just to say, yeah, just this like I learned so much this spring. Yeah, I it was very difficult my first year yeah. trying to figure out how to preach and what was preaching and yeah, yeah. I, I sort of think of that as uh, when I've heard you all preach and teach, I, I say to myself, "Wow, that was insightful and that had depth um, that caused me to think and that took me beyond the words that I just read here on the page." That really helped me understand and see how these words on the page really affect me personally, 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And on the other hand, I've I've been uh, critiqued, especially my first year, but still I get this a little bit in putting too much information in. Mm-hmm. That's a balance too, I guess. Mm-hmm. You have to evaluate. Every critique, you have to evaluate and decide whether or not you agree with it. And there are some that I don't agree with, not because of arrogance, but because of principle. And yeah, there, there's, a, there's a balance. Although, that. in critiques, even if you disagree with the critique, you can ask the question, okay, why mm-hmm. did this become a critique? Yeah. It teaches you about the listener. Yeah, exactly. It helps you think about how to communicate more effectively so that yeah. the various types of listeners are still being uh, yeah. cared for and ministered to and thought of in terms of how you present information. Yeah. Did you have something to say first? Well, I, I do, but I think it will probably get covered in one of my points. All right, Ferris. Well, let's continue so, with that then. Mm-hmm. Did you pencil up? I just wasn't sure. I know you're anxious I'm an anxious anxious guy needs more coffee no I think I'm I'm wrapped up in and out pretty basic well I have to say I haven't got it all figured out yet yeah (laughs) so that makes that makes all (laughs) Uh, I'm the oldest one here I've listened to a lot of good sermons Uh, I've listened to a lot of poor sermons um but as as I've listened to y'all's sermons, you guys are all on the right track, and that's just an instinct. It's just like if it sounds good, it's good. <laughs> you guys have done a uh, great job in your teaching and preaching. Well, thanks, Ben. Thank you. Did. It's a good I challenge. You did well in your, in your preaching. <laughs> yeah, nice thank you. Thank you. Yeah, great challenge. Yeah, it's been fun. All right, Ferris. Let's let's move to you. Actually, we're out of time. Thanks for... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably are out of time, but we'll, we'll keep talking anyway. Um, yeah. So, the first thing I would say I, I walked away with is uh, crafting an intro. Just what what should I be trying to do when I, when I do that? And this was taken from Haddon Robinson's book, The... Was it the basics of biblical preaching? Or biblical, not, preaching. biblical preaching. I'm yeah. getting that in our Greek textbook titles mixed up. Uh, uh, basics of biblical Greek. You got bounce on your mind. Yeah. Uh, biblical preaching. Uh, but anyway, an introduction should... There's an acronym A-I-M. A is for attention. I is for interest. And M is for movement. And for the first point, A... You should have an introduction that can conceivably get your audience's attention. Uh, something that, I, I don't know, I mean, the, the last uh, time I preached, the introduction I gave was a story of, a, a true story of a man and woman who got married, and the man uh, spent that night sitting in front of his television playing video games. And later... I mean, basically, he really proved himself to be a negligent husband not caring for his wife and moved across town. Later, they got a divorce. And so that really got people's attention. They were fired up about this man who who would not care for his wife. Uh, and then I move, or the second point, I, um, has to deal with interest. And... Um, 
remember exactly how Haddon Robinson articulated it. I think I would have articulated it a little bit differently. Uh, but he said that it, it must spark some interest within them. Um, and, and I think there, there's some truth to that. But then you eventually, with some of your sermons, you're going to get to a point where where you recognize that you may need to move some people from something that they don't have interest in to show them that they do need to have interest in this. Um, but but I think there is point in in showing us that, that we need to take interest in, in what it is this preacher is, is saying. So um, that kind of blends into the M in AIM movement, uh, where you move from from your introduction to show how this relates to the passage. And uh, so I moved into Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 and showed how, uh, how I had just spoken of this man not meeting his marital obligations and said how Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 talks about the preacher's obligations or the, the leader's obligations to the church. What are their obligations to the church? And so, so that was, and then we began to see how, you know, we can be so animated rightly about this man, uh, but then we need to, we need to care just as much about our care that we take for the bride of Christ. Anyway, so, so an introduction that gets attention, uh, is interesting to the congregation, and then moves into the text. Moving yeah. on to the next point. It's good to have those. Yeah. As a listener, it's helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next thing, and, and I really learned this last year, but I, I think it took me an entire six months of preaching uh, in the off-season to really get down to where to where I really understood and felt comfortable with this. But the, the usefulness of frequent pauses in your preaching... It's easy when you're up there to feel like if I'm not saying anything, the whole audience is going to think I forgot what I said, and I need to keep this interesting by keep by keeping on moving. But if you don't pause, then their minds are going to wander onto something that you said, or it's just going to be this boring arrangement of just you know you're trailing on and on and on. But pauses give people time to think about what you said. And they always seem a lot shorter to the congregation than they seem to the preacher. And I had to listen to myself over and over and recognize that had I paused for three seconds in these particular aspects, it might have added one minute to my sermon. And that would have been just fine. And people would have thought it was more interesting and been able to to think while I was preaching. Mm-hmm. Pacing. Yeah. Yes. Pacing That's helpful. Mm-hmm. It's hard to remember you're being listened to. Yes. And what that's like as a listener. Yes. Yeah, cadence is really, is a really, it's an art. Mm-hmm. It just takes practice too, I think. And also, in my opinion, reviewing, yeah. which we have the privilege of in terms of being able to record and, and then listen. There's been plenty of times I've listened again and I've thought similar thoughts, you know, just, oh, Man, I should have slowed down there or added this really short, simple phrase just to connect these ideas or 
or just been quiet for a second and giving people a chance to consider what I just said or right. you know, whatever it is. But yeah, those are that's yeah. really, really valuable. And I think it's one of those things we'll just keep learning. The yeah. more we do it, the more we can hopefully develop mm-hmm. a better job at that. Well, let me just give you another encouragement. Yeah. You know, having grown up in the church and listened to a heap ton of sermons, I mean, every student here is a good preacher. I have enjoyed every uh, every sermon, every lesson, even from the lesser experienced students to the more experienced students. Um, everybody has an interesting style. Everybody is good at something, and it's, that's, that's really neat to see. Um, Josh, Ferris, Tom, each of you, in my opinion. John, Nikki, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Andrew. They, they've done. Well, Andrew hasn't really been here. I just think you guys have done a great job. And, uh, who I, about Jeremy? I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've learned a lot. I've learned so much. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Sure. It's been great. Uh, the third thing I would take away is. It's oh, like, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, yeah. yeah. Right. We forgot about Young Jeremiah. Gun. All right. I think I covered everybody. Sorry, go ahead. The go third ahead. thing I would take away. <laughs> Sorry, Ferris, if you could just hold on. <laughs> <laughs> the third thing I could take away is making my propositions and main points short. Yes. Uh, you know, we might want to pack a whole lot into a point, but everything that you could add to your point probably belongs in subpoints and the explanation of that point. So I can give somebody a short, you know, five-word package and put it in their hand, and then they're wondering, what does he mean by that? You use the word proposition. Can you briefly define that for people, just in case? A proposition here, anyway, the way we define that, there might be a better word for it, uh, is something that just one thing from your sermon, basically the focal point of your sermon, the one thing you're telling people to either know, do, or be. And I prefer propositions that are do propositions. Like, like do this. Like my last proposition was build the body, uh, meaning build the body of Christ. And I certainly could have packed a whole lot more into that proposition. And people were wondering, what do you mean by build the body? Well, then I got the opportunity in the rest of my sermon to explain what that meant. And hopefully by the end of it, I had a a suitcase with a a little handle just that could fit in your hand that was packed full of these things that then you you have a reference for, well, what does it mean to build the body? Um, Anyway, so making, making your propositions and your points short, so that when people walk out the door, they can say what the proposition was, and they could say what each individual point was. And even though you could give more detailed propositions and points, they have something that, that you have packed that they can then take home and unpack, either in the drive home in the car, or you know when they're sitting around the dinner table with their family. Is the proposition what I'm getting at by asking, or by saying, this is... You need to preach something that they need to know. Is that the same thing? Yeah, and actually, that's I was going to comment then, but I, I knew I'd probably okay. cover it in mine. Uh, 
uh, I think it was, I don't remember who it was, but my pastor back in Rapid City told me um, that your sermon should, basically, if, if on Sunday night, or not Sunday night, on Saturday night, if your wife shakes you awake at 3 o'clock in the morning and says, what are you preaching about tomorrow? In, in all your grogginess, you should be able to report it simply. Build the body. Yeah, build the body. <laughs> Go back to bed. And, and then run the roll over. So, I mean, it, it should be that simple that, that um, you know, a, a fifth grader could be able to repeat what you said and be able to have, yeah, because you can always, I don't know, I'm rambling on. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's important to reach yeah. the, the fifth graders. And the yes. And the, yeah. Give simple propositions and points, and then unpack them, yeah. rather than making them complicated. Yeah, because they won't remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Suitcase illustration was a good one. Sure. A handle to hold on to, and then yeah. you pack everything into that suitcase. Carry it around. Yeah. Good illustration. Anybody All else right. have anything before we wrap up this portion of the podcast? All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Practically Theologians podcast. Uh, We'll uh, maybe have a discussion on hermeneutics later and release it later. But for now, we've gone on too long, I I think. Uh, You can catch us on Facebook somewhere. Somebody looks at that sometimes. Uh, You can email us, podcast at practicallytheologians.org if you have any ideas for further topics or questions or comments or whatever. As long as it's not hate mail. And uh, we'll talk to you all next time.